So our Old Testament reading is from Isaiah 53, verses 6 and 7. We have all strayed like lost sheep. Each one of us has turned to go his own way, and the Lord has laid all our sins on Jesus. Jesus was abused and punished, but he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. He was like a sheep that was silent when its wool is cut off. He didn't open his mouth. And our sermon text from this evening comes from Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join his chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I, unless somebody guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does this prophet say this? About himself or about somebody else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they had come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through there, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, in your kindness and in your mercy, we ask that you would do the thing that only you can do. Lord, we ask that you would shine light on these words that are in your word. Lord, we shine light on places in our hearts where the light needs to be shown. And Lord, would you use these words and the words that I've prepared, Lord, to make us ever more into the people you'd have us be and to give us great hope in our Lord Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Um, it, it seems that there's two ways to view our life. Um, option number one would be that our life is mostly about us. That it's about achieving Accumulating, 
securing, chasing, pursuing some version of the good life that we imagine for ourselves. And we continue in that pursuit until we're out of breath in our lungs, beats in our heart, and that's our life. Now, there's a second way we can view our life. This second way to look at our life is our life is not primarily about us, but instead, our life is marked by God's careful guidance, his providential ordering of every moment of our life. That we are a person who was made by our Lord, who was bought and redeemed by him, and that he has prepared good works in advance that we can walk in them. That every day is a kind of hunt for clues of his providential grace, his providential ordering, his, his careful direction of our life so that we can not only receive joy, but we can be used by him in this world. Now, option one is more popular, but Acts chapter 8, verses 25 and 26 and following that we just read pressures us to view our life in option number two. So we get this early Christian story of a disciple of Jesus named Philip. And God's spirit providentially, I don't keep saying that word, Providential has to do with God's careful ordering of our life. God carefully orders his life in this moment in order that he could be used as a means so that the good news would be announced, not only to this man from Ethiopia, but even to other places beyond that. Now, there's a, there's a main thing I want to make sure you hear tonight Okay, if you don't hear anything else I say, this is the main thing I want you to hear. I don't want you to miss this part. I think this text is an invitation to us. I mean, it is an invitation. It's a way for us to be invited to bear witness to the good news of Jesus. This passage is given to us to invite us to be people who would be bearing witness to the good news of Jesus in whatever places we find ourselves. That's the invitation of this text. And to make that point, to to take a look at this, I want to do three things. So if you want an outline of it in advance, if you're interested in where this thing is going, there's going to be three parts to this sermon. I'm going to make three observations about this story. So observation number one, and then I'm going to ask a question, okay, important question in order to try to speak to your heart. Observation number two, and I'm going to ask a critical question, an important question, And then observation from this story, number three, and I'm going to ask an important question. And when I ask these questions, I'm going to just let them sit for us to take them in. I'm going to trust the same Holy Spirit who guided Philip down this road at Gaza would be guiding us tonight in this room. So let's take a look. Observation number one, 
I'm gonna just call Philip's call. So we're gonna talk about Philip's call. Look at verse 26 of chapter 8. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This, by the way, is a desert place. And he rose and he went. See, we learn that Philip is not bored. In fact, earlier in chapter 8, if you were to just look back, we learn that Philip has this thriving ministry. He's preaching the good news of Jesus in Samaria. He's able to, to heal and perform signs in Jesus' name. He's got this thriving ministry, and he's called out of that thriving ministry in one place to go to a desolate desert place, and the instructions are very unclear other than just to, to go. You know, every time I've ever heard of a ministry leader with this kind of thriving ministry who leaves to go to a different ministry, it's always a move to bigger and better. But in this case, the move is to smaller and nothing. It says that he's supposed to go down to a road that heads off to Gaza. After doing a little research, this is about 50 miles away. So he's being summoned to take a walk about 50 miles I did some, some work on the map, and from this spot, 50 miles east, so, so not south but east, you would get to where I-20 crosses over Lake Logan Martin, like on your way to Atlanta. It'd be, it'd be nice if you'd shake your heads at me vigorously that you know what I'm talking about. We're talking two or three days of a journey spending the night on the roadside most likely to go to this place and he has no earthly idea what might happen. Christians who've read this passage for thousands of years have just noticed that Philip's call really mirrors Abram's call in some ways. If you remember in Genesis chapter 12, Abraham's called and said to leave your family and go. There's not clear instruction on what we're supposed to do there. There's not clear instruction on exactly where we're going, just to go. And then again, in verse 27, and he rose and he went. I heard somebody say one time that perhaps that's a really good summary of the Christian life. He or she rose and he or she went. Now, in this passage, what we'll see is that our Lord calls Philip to leave a crowd, a group, to go pursue this one Ethiopian eunuch. And we see a picture of God's very heart here. Remember, it's our Lord who is a relentless pursuer, who's willing to leave 99 in order to find one. We learn in this text that you and I are often his means 
of that pursuit. He uses us in that pursuit. So, so here's a question I have for you. So if I give you an observation. We just made an observation about Philip's call. And now here's a key question I want to ask you. What if your answer to our Lord was already yes? Your default mode, if you, if, if you don't think about it, if you just wake in the morning, our default mode is to say to the Lord, no. But what if our answer to him was already yes? You get the sense that Philip has moved to Samaria first to preach the gospel, builds this kind of thriving ministry, and his answer is already yes to now go down to the Gaza Road. At the end of the passage, you heard Ethan read it, he ends up going some other place after that. What would it look like in your life if your answer to the Lord was already yes? All right, a second observation I want to make about this passage. I want us to notice the quest, the spiritual longing, the search that this Ethiopian eunuch is on. Look with me again at verses 27 and 28. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. He'd come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. There's a lot of interesting things about this man. First of all, we learn that he is an Ethiopian. Now, this is probably not modern-day Ethiopia. It's a different part of Africa, maybe close to modern-day Ethiopia, but likely a different people group. We learn he is from Ethiopia. We learn he is on some kind of pilgrimage. He has gone to Jerusalem in worship to worship, and he's returning. See, he apparently has some knowledge of Israel's God that he has gone to worship. But we learn that he is a eunuch. There's lots that we could say about the status and position of a eunuch in the ancient Near East. But put it this way. He has achieved a kind of high-ranking position in the court of a queen. And eunuchs who were often people of high-ranking positions in the court of kings and queens. They're often powerful we learned that this particular eunuch, it is, there's reason to believe he's wealthy. Okay, he's the head of the treasury of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians. He has a copy of a scroll, which would have been exceedingly rare and very expensive. But in the ancient world, eunuchs would become eunuchs because they would undergo procedure to make them unable to bear children or to produce heirs 
It was the way in the ancient world of assuring that someone who would make their way to a high-ranking position would not have conflicts of interest and mixed motives in order to procure their own line of successors. Sometimes this was willing, sometimes it was likely unwilling. But that's who this guy is. And we have reason to believe he is spiritually hungry. He's gone on a pilgrimage. He has part of the story. He begins, he's reading from Isaiah and he's trying to figure out who this person the prophet is talking about is. Now, as a eunuch, he would have been able to have gone to Jerusalem but not entered the temple. So he only has a kind of partial access to the things of God and he's hungry. He's spiritually longing. He's got desires that are going unmet. And Philip is guided to this place in order to meet him. Of all the people in the world, the Lord has an interest in him. The Lord's keenly interested in I was talking to my kids just this week, and they were asking me, how could it be, Dad, that God seems to somehow love everybody in the world? Like, how can he keep up with that many people is what they're asking. But again, this is the character of our God. He sees you as you actually are. And he's interested in you as you actually are. And he loves you as you actually are, not the hypothetical version of you, just you. Here's a question that I think we should ask of this passage. Who could be in your path tomorrow, this week, in the weeks and months to come? This year, how could the Lord be providentially ordering your life in such a way that you could be a means of the Lord pursuing that person? Y'all, y'all, it is, it is actually pretty rare in my experience. It's, it's pretty rare that someone is converted to faith in Christ in some sort of one-shot dramatic moment. That's, that happens, but it's rare. The way that our Lord seems to draw people to faith is through pieces of a puzzle that are given slowly over time. The Apostle Paul says as much that someone plants and others water. It's God who creates the growth. But everyone that I have ever met that has come to faith in Christ. They came to faith in Christ because at some point, someone told them about Jesus from the Bible. And that's what we see here. As the story goes on, we see that Philip hops up in the chariot. So not only has he gone to, to nowhere, imagine this, you, you, you're now at Lake, Mar- or Lake Logan Martin, okay? And all of a sudden, you see someone pass by, and now you know the Lord's telling you to hop in the car with them. You've got to be kidding me, right? He's reading the prophet Isaiah, 
They begin a conversation. The man showing a kind of spiritual hunger says, who is he talking about? Philip, Philip's like, do you know? I, how am I supposed to know unless someone teaches me? And Philip, it says, beginning with that very passage of Scripture. Verse 35, he told him the good news about Jesus. God's normal means of seeking and saving is by using us as mouthpieces to tell people the good news of Jesus from the scriptures. And that's what we see here. So critical question, who could be in your path where you could be a means of God's saving grace? Here's a third observation tonight. I'm just going to call this observation that there is someone who's worth everything. There is someone who's worth everything. Again, in verse 32, there's a conversation about Jesus from the prophet Isaiah. We learn that this Jesus was like a sheep who was led to the slaughter, like a lamb who kept his mouth shut. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. The prophet Isaiah is talking about a suffering servant, a a suffering servant who would come and take on the wounds and the pain and the sin and the suffering of God's people. And again, there's a conversation about, do you know who this is? Uh, Is the prophet talking about himself or someone else? And Philip, again, verse 35, opened his mouth and beginning with the scripture, he he told him the good news about Jesus. Philip is saying to this searching, hungry, Ethiopian, Your quest can be over. The one you've been looking for, his name is Jesus. Your search can be done. And it's interesting that Philip's kind of gospel presentation here is essentially the one you're reading about, that's Jesus. It's a beautiful way to share your faith the one you're hoping for, the one you're longing for, the one you've been wondering about, I'm here to tell you, it's Jesus. And the man just knows it in his bones. And he is all in. Look at verse 36. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? He's all in, and he wants to be all in right then. He commanded the chariot to stop. They both go down to the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized them. You know, there's a legend. St. Irenaeus, an early church father, penned in this letter one time. Oh, by the way, there was some missionary that went down to Ethiopia and shared the good news of Jesus with all those people. It sounds almost as if it could be this guy. But what this 
eunuch learns is that there is someone who is worth everything. Would you believe me if I told you that right after Isaiah 53 that talks about this servant, suffering servant Jesus, would you believe me if I told you that the first few verses of Isaiah 54 says, let the barren one rejoice. See, a barren person only rejoices when the thing that they have is greater, is greater than that which they lack. And this eunuch who is, in this story, literally and figuratively barren, receives the gift of all that there is. I still owe you one final critical question, important question tonight. You see, my first two questions for you is what if your answer was already yes? My second question was who might be in your path? These are questions asking you, in essence, what would it look like in your life to be more Philip-like? But one thing we can't help but notice from this story is that we can't exactly be Philip-like unless we are the Ethiopian eunuch-like first. See, this Ethiopian eunuch is searching, and he has invested so much. You might be here tonight searching, and you have a lot riding on this search of yours. You might be here tonight reading, wondering. You might be here tonight with unmet desires and longings. You might be here tonight far from Christ. You might be here tonight close to Christ. You might be here tonight and you just need to know in the fresh, freshest way the truth of the promises of God. And I am here to tell you tonight that the truth has a name, and his name is Jesus. He knows you. He sees you. He knows your pains and your aches and your deepest longings. And he loves you. He's pursuing you. And he has given everything for you. And you can have him tonight. Final question. What would it look like for you to take fresh hold of the promises of God tonight. See, so you and I are invited to be 
those who bear witness to the good news of Jesus, like Philip, are also invited to be like the Ethiopian eunuch who takes hold of these promises too. Let's pray together.